So we're going to be talking about end times, but this morning, if you'll give me a few minutes, I want to talk a little bit about this effectual faith. And I know you feel probably at this church we've talked in nauseam about faith, but I don't think there's enough that we could do to talk about faith because it is the connector to everything that God has for you and I as a believer. It is what we need to receive from God. And uh, he's given me some new stuff, which I'm excited about. 1 Timothy 1.5 and 2 Timothy 1.5. 1 Timothy 1.5 and 2 Timothy 1.5. 1 Timothy 1.5 says, Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of a faith unfeigned. Say faith unfeigned. 2 Timothy 1.5. When I call to repentance the unfeigned faith that I see in thee, which first dwelt in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, I am persuaded that is in you. This church, what I am talking about, is not a faith that's a theory. It's not a faith that's just something that works um, in a book, but it doesn't work outside of the classroom. We talked about that in faith school this morning. There's a lot of college professors, and they're very wise, and they have theories, but because those theories are never used in the real world, they're only used in a classroom. A theory, unless a theory works, it's just words. Amen? It's like knowledge that you can't use is kind of useless. You can know about the migration of the hummingbird until the cows come home, but how's that going to help you? Don't just gather knowledge. Amen. We want to gather knowledge that's useful to us. And so this effectual faith, unfeigned faith, unfeigned faith is a faith that's real. And I think it's important for you and I that we need a faith right now that is real. And it's a faith that's going to help us get done what God has called us to do. Each and every one of us have been called by God to do something. We have been created with a purpose. Each one of us has a destiny that we are responsible for. It doesn't matter how you got into the earth. Doesn't matter if you were here by two parents, one parent, stork, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you got here. What matters is how you leave here. That's by far the most important thing because it doesn't matter how you got into the earth, you were created with destiny and purpose in your heart. get to your purpose, the more you're going to increase. The closer you get into your high purpose, what is it that I was created for? What has God called me to do? When the closer you get to that, more things are going to begin to be added to you because now you're operating in your purpose. The opposite's also at work. The farther you get away from your purpose, the harder things get for you. The less things come to you. Why? Because God is the most purposeful being in the earth and he created you with purpose in mind. Well, pastor, what am I created to do? What am I called to do? You were created to get into that book for yourself and find out who you are. Listen to me. Jesus had to get into the book to find out who he was. Jesus went back and read all the prophecies and all of the Old Testament. And in that, he found out who he was. 
Each and every one of us, when we get into the book for ourselves and we take time and we're intimate with that book, he will tell us who we are. Amen? And there's no calling too big and there's no calling too small. Well, maybe I'm just called to be a housewife. There is no greater honor than to raise godly offspring. Don't you ever believe that that's something below There is no greater honor than to raise children and raise them up in the admonition of the Lord and be there for them every stage of their life, imparting this legacy of faith to them so that when they leave, they're not dependent on man, they're not dependent on a government, they're dependent on God. There's no greater calling, ladies, than to be a mom or a wife. These are good, these are healthy, these are wonderful things. Amen? Now, you can have a job too. Read Proverbs 31. She had a lot of jobs. She was selling those clothes, making that stuff, making the sashes, doing the robes, buying and selling land. This woman was moving. But don't look down at what you've been called to do. Amen? Dads, there's no greater calling than being a father and being a dad. Amen? Our world is going crazy because there's not dads out there right now. We have a world full of offspring that don't know who they are and don't know what their name is. And they're raising themselves and life is cheap to them because of it. That's why there's so much murder going on in our city right now. Because life and blood is cheap. They don't understand because no one taught them how valuable blood is to the Lord. Amen? The answer to our, our world is not a new president. It's everybody getting saved. The answer to this world is not Republicans taking over the house in November. It's you and I getting out and doing the work of the cross and getting people born again and saved. You want to heal this nation? Get the people born again. Amen? That's how it happens. So we're talking about an unfeigned faith, a faith that is not phony. Now, Let me interject something to you right now, okay? Because this is going to help somebody. Just because you want to do something doesn't mean you have faith to do it. Just because you feel you have a strong zeal for God, that is not the same thing as faith. A lot of people get in trouble with faith because it's something that they want to do And because they want to do it doesn't mean that you don't have to go through the steps of faith to get it done. Case in point, Jesus, there's a storm. Peter sees Jesus on the water. Peter wants to walk on the water. Does he have faith to do it? If Peter just saw Jesus walking on the water and because he wanted to do it, stepped out on the end of the boat and stepped over onto that water, what would have happened? He would have gone straight to the bottom. Why is that? Because he didn't have any faith to do it yet. But when he looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, bid me to come onto the water, and Jesus said what? Come, there's faith. Just because Peter wanted to walk on water doesn't mean he had the faith to do it. Just because there's things in you and I's life that we want to do, 
We feel strongly about it. We have convictions about it. We have a zeal about it. Doesn't necessarily mean that we have the effectual faith to do it. I still have to do what Peter did. I got to get a word from God. When, when Jesus said, Peter, come, that's all he had to hear. He had a rhema. He had a revelation. For you and I, for us to have effectual faith this year, it's not a matter of just us wanting to do good things, wanting to do godly things, wanting to be better people, wanting to be better Christians, wanting to be better parents, wanting to be better um, husbands and wives. We got to get a word from God. And when you get that word from God, then you step up out of that boat. But don't you move until you get a word from God. Don't you step out and do something just because you want to do it. Abraham was presented a maid, Hagar. Sounded good to him. And he didn't step out in faith, and he produced an Ishmael. We don't have time for any other Ishmaels. Amen? We need a faith that's pure. We need a faith that's unfeigned. We need a faith that's effectual, that's actually pure, that's going to actually do what God has called us to do. Are you with me this morning? A faith unfeigned is a faith that consists in something more than in a few higher-sounding words which lay claim to a sure confidence that is not felt. It's a faith rich in works rather than words. Amen? I think sometimes we try and talk ourselves into a good game. We have our little church speak. I'm believing. I'm standing. How you doing today? Well, I'm believing God. I'm standing. I'm believing. What's that really mean? Are those just words that we use to make everybody feel like, okay, yeah, he's in faith? Or do we have a word from God? Do I have a word for God from everything that I'm doing right now? Do you know before I married Michelle, I got a word from God. I found out in Ephesians chapter 1 that she was part of my inheritance. You better have a word from God, ladies and gentlemen, before you get married. Because when things don't go the way that you think that they should, you better have something to fall back on. Amen? You better have something to fall back on. Any financial decisions that we're making right now, you need a word from God. God, believe it or not, is the greatest financial planner of all time. I know you find that hard to believe. But Jesus, the Holy Spirit, can make you rich. If you will learn to follow the Holy Spirit in your finances and what you're doing, he can make you rich. Now, should we be good stewards? Absolutely. Should we be tithers? Absolutely. Should we be sowers and givers? Absolutely. But I want to operate out of the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness or his way of being and doing right. And all these things shall be added unto me. See, there are people in this room that God has given financial formulas to and that's their anointing. I'm not going to tell you who they are because there'll be lines backed up to get to them. Amen. See, what we would want to do is we would say, here, can you just take my money and do with it what you're doing with yours? That is so lazy. That's our problem. We want somebody else to do. We want them to do all the grunt work and they want us just to 
hey, I got a little extra here. Could you just invest this for me? It doesn't work that way. You know, Lot was only blessed when he was with Abraham. As soon as they separated, Lot was living in a townhouse on the bad side of the worst city in town. Because Abraham had a promise and Lot just went along for the ride. I don't want to be a Lot. Amen? I want a firm, I want an effectual faith that's not full of a bunch of platitudes. I don't want to just talk a good game. I want a faith that works. I want a faith that I can show you, here's what I'm believing for, and here's how we're doing it. I want a faith that's not phony. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. You with me this morning? And I'm actually going to change something that I've been saying for a long time. I'm real big in talking about faith projects, right? Faith projects. What's your faith project? What are you believing for? I'm going to change that. You ready? What are your prayer projects? What are you praying for? That involves everybody in the room because each and every one of us, when I say faith project, you think, well, I don't need anything. Yeah, you do. Because if everybody in your household's not saved, you need faith. And if everybody in your business is not saved, then you need faith. Do we see, is everybody in your neighborhood saved? Then you need faith. Amen. Each and every one of us have projects and they're living all around us. And let me tell you again, and I've said it before, the single most important thing you can ever do with your faith is to believe God for the soul of someone else. It is by far the most important thing you can ever do is to believe God for someone to get saved. That's what faith is for. Yes, there is faith for an automobile. Yes, there is faith for a new car. Yes, there is faith for healing. And those are all powerful and just as important. But the, the, we got to stay focused on what faith was created for. And I'm going to show you this morning exactly how that works. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 Verse 13, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as is in the truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Now, will you bring that up in the Amplified for me? Oh, you did. And we also especially thank God continually for this, that when you receive the message of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of mere men, but as truly the word of God, which is effectually at work in you. Um, is that the only amplified version we have? The regular amplified says it gives us superhuman power to those who believe. Who wants to be a superhero? Who wants to be? Look at all this stuff, all the Marvel stuff, all the, the Spider-Man, Superman, all the superhuman stuff. Do you want to be a superhero without the tights? Huh? Do you want to do it without wearing a cape? Huh? You want to be Batman? Develop your faith to such a level that it gives you superhuman powers to change the world that you live in. That's what superhuman is. Jesus spoke to the storm. He stopped it. There's no superhero that could ever do that. Jesus spoke to fevers. There's been no superhero that I know of that ever went and spoke to fevers. Come on. 
and they broke. He spoke to a, a, a fig tree. He spoke to what he couldn't see at the root, and when they came back, it affected what they could see. That's superhuman. That's what God wants for you and I. That is an unfeigned faith. It's a faith that says when you and I stand up, we believe what we're about to say, and when we say it, it brings change to whatever we're looking at. I'm talking about a faith that moves mountains. And that is not something that's so far away and so, oh, it'll take me years to get, it's so close. If you'd have faith like a mustard seed, if you just have faith like that little mustard seed, it doesn't matter how much faith you have. It matters what you're doing with what you have. Quit thinking I got to get this big ball of faith before I can step out. It doesn't take that much. You have all the faith you're ever going to need. Right now in this room, you have all the faith you will ever need. The problem is, is we've got just as much unbelief. Well, what happens if it doesn't work? I'm going to put this money aside just in case. And I go into having plan B. Mountain moving faith doesn't work with plan B. You got to know that you know that you know. You got to do what Abraham did, and you got to reason that even if Isaac does die, God is big enough to raise him from the dead. We have to get to a point of saturation where we are willing to believe God no matter what, that He is bigger than any situation that you and I are dealing with. He's bigger, He's bigger than coronavirus, He's bigger than politics. He's bigger than our corporations. He's bigger than anything that, any conspiracy that you have that's out there, God's bigger. There's nothing hidden from him. They're not going to surprise him. He's the surpriser. He laughs. He sits in the heavens and he laughs. He's like, would you look at what these fools are doing? They actually believe that they can surprise me with this thing. Effectual faith, a faith that's not phony. How do you tell the difference between real faith and phony faith? Look at the label, no. Real faith produces, phony faith doesn't. Real faith produces. Phony faith doesn't. Unfeigned faith produces and delivers on the promises. It's not fake or unfruitful. That word unfeigned means not a phony, literally without hypocrisy. Now here's the, here's the kicker for today. It is a faith motivated by love. It is a faith, as we talked about in faith school today. What we've been doing with faith is we've been taking it out as its own individual thing, putting it into a laboratory, discussing it, studying it, developing it. But there's more to it than just that. And this little thing called love. Unfeigned faith is motivated by love. Okay? There's two times, and I'm going to show you. Well, look at Galatians 5.6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith 
which worketh through love. If you want to have great faith, you got to have great love. Amen? You're not going to operate in great faith unless you're operating and developing in great love. You should be developing in faith and love at the same level at the same time. Not just one or not just the other. You can't just have all love and you can't have all faith. All faith is cold, it's mechanical, it's frustrating. It feels like a formula. All love is you never do anything. You have the greatest intentions in the world. You love everybody, but you never seem to receive anything. Why is it? Because there's no faith in what you're using. You love, but you don't have faith. So you got to have love and faith together in equal portions. There's two times in the Bible, Matthew chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 15. And let's look at Matthew chapter 8, where Jesus uses this phrase, great faith. Who wants to have great faith? You do. Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 5. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadful and tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Then the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to this one, uh, uh, another come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled. And he said to those who followed, assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith not even in Israel. Great faith. What is the recipe for great faith? First, let's talk about the centurion. This is a man who was an oppressor to this nation. He was a high-ranking Roman soldier that was living in Israel, who was occupying Israel at this time. He was not, and I don't know how to say this, to try and give you a frame of reference, so please, I don't want to offend anybody. But he was like a Nazi living there. He was hated. He was despised. I mean, this was, this was of anybody. This is not the guy you wanted in your nation. He was a man that was outside of the covenant. He had no covenant rights at all. But yet here it comes. His great love for his servant motivated him a centurion to go to Jesus himself, get on his knees, and plead for the life of his servant. His great love for that servant produced a miracle that Jesus called great faith. If you want to have great faith, get on your knees for somebody else. Put your own problems away. Put your own needs away. Put aside, this centurion, he could have had a plaque on his wall that said Jesus was here. He could have had Jesus into his house. Could you imagine what an honor that would have been? But this guy had no pretense, no selfishness. He said, I love this servant. And he laid down all of who he was, humbled himself in front of a Jewish citizen and asked for the life, here's the key, of someone else. 
You want to have great faith? Go to God on behalf of somebody else this year. Who can you dare to believe God for? This is the year for the hardheads to get saved. This is the year for the knuckleheads, okay? This is the year for the hard cases. This is the one. This is the year. This is when they get saved. But the way it's going to happen is you're going to go to God like this centurion, and you're going to put aside everything you know and everything you think about this person, and you're going to stand in faith and believe God for their salvation. Great faith. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21 and 28. Hallelujah. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from the region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshiped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Could you imagine saying that to somebody this today? See how woke you really are? I'm sorry, you called me what? Uh, I'm sorry, little dog? And she said, yes, Lord, even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be done to you as you desire. Once again, the only two times in the Bible where Jesus ever said someone had great faith were two people who were outside of the covenant and were the two most despised people groups there were at that time. One was a centurion and one was a Canaanite woman. Why, why, why? Because that's how we get into this. That this faith wasn't just for the 12 tribes of Israel. That if he'll let a centurion in, if he'll let this Syrophoenician woman in, he'll let us in. Do you not see that this is how we get into this? They were outside of the covenant. Real faith puts aside its needs and goes to God for someone else. Unfeigned faith has a pure motive. The single greatest thing we can use our faith on is the soul of someone else. Amen? Unfeigned faith is not selfish. Matthew chapter 16. Beginning in verse 5. Now when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, Is it because we have taken no bread? But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, O you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not understand or remember the five loaves or the five thousand and how many baskets you took up. Why did he say that they had little faith? Because they were thinking of themselves first. We don't have any bread. I don't have what I need. And Jesus said, it's because you had little faith. 
Secondly, they forgot who they had with them. That even if there was only a rock on the ground, that they had Jesus who could have taken that rock, turned it into bread, and fed them thousands and thousands of times over. Folks, that really ministered to me. Because how many times after God has done victory after victory after victory, where he's fed thousands and thousands, when he's taken my finances and stretched them and multiplied them and done miracle after miracle after miracle, and yet when something happens, I'm like, Jesus, what are we going to do? We forget that Jesus is still in the boat. The calmer of the storms, the healer of the body, the, the one that prospers us. He's still in the boat with us, and yet we act as if he's not there. Or for whatever reason, that it's just not going to happen this time. He calls that little faith. Little faith. It's good stuff. I'm going to buy this CD myself. Matthew chapter 14. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is your command to me, come to you. Let me come to you on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, beginning to sink. And he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, caught him, and said, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, wait a minute. He got out of the boat. He was walking on water. What happened? He took his eyes off of Jesus, put him on the wind, put him on the waves, and he began to sink. Little faith is a faith that will start something, but it won't finish it. Little faith is someone that will start a faith project or a prayer project. But when it gets too hard, when it gets too tough, when it takes too long, when it doesn't happen the way that we think that it should, I have a biological clock and it's ticking. And we let it go. We abort the dream. That is little faith. Little faith will start a faith project, but it won't finish it we got to finish what we started. Amen? The centurion and the Syrophoenician woman did not leave. It's a consistent faith. It's a persistent faith. An unfeigned faith is a faith that doesn't take no. And when you are standing in faith and believing God, you have got to, it doesn't matter what somebody else says, is that I'm going to stay here. I'm like Tom Brady. We're going to keep playing this football game until I win. I don't care what the score is. I don't care what the clock says. I don't care what everybody's saying. I am going to stay in this football game as long as it takes until I win. Then you can let the confetti down and give me the trophy. Folks, there's a lot we can learn from some of these people about mental toughness. The world, some of these people are far better than we are at being mentally tough and not letting go. Amen? Unfeigned faith is persistent. It will not let go till it sees what it's believing for. Matthew chapter 4. And I hope you're writing all these scriptures down, and I hope 
Just like Acts chapter 17, that you were going back and you were trying everything that I'm saying today. You were looking these scriptures up and you are getting this for yourselves, amen, to prove whether I'm right or wrong. <coughs> Excuse me. Mark chapter 4. We're almost done. Well, I've been doing Matthew so long, I thought we would go to Mark. I like the book of Matthew. It's one of my favorite. Well, they're all my favorite. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitudes, they took him along in the boat as he was, and the other little boats also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. And he said, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Now, help me with something. The Syrophoenician woman and the centurion, because they both had a need, both went to Jesus directly. And Jesus said they had great faith. The storm came up, and the disciples went to Jesus directly, and he said they had no faith. Is it because Jesus was not in a good mood when they woke him up? Huh? Was he having a good dream and they messed him up? What was the difference? Because these people were inside the covenant, and they had authority. And Jesus is never going to do something for you that you can do for yourself. Quit going to Jesus to stop the storm. You speak to the storm. Quit going to Jesus to talk about a mountain to move. You move the mountain. Quit asking Jesus to do things for you that he's already given you the power to do. If you don't like your world that you live in, change it. Frame the world that you live in with words of faith. Quit waiting for someone else to change it for you. He has given us through his blood and the baptism of the Holy Spirit everything that we need. It's a matter of is do we know how to use the weapons that he's given us. We're an army. Amen? We're an army, and he's given us tools. He's not going to do it for us. I can ask... Mike to come to my house and help me move a couch. Mike comes to my house to, make me, to help me move the couch. I'm sitting in a chair trying to watch Mike move the couch. In reality, what I was saying to Mike is, is Mike, I don't want you to come help me. I want you to come do it. And we do that with God sometimes. God, help me. He will. But we have to be putting our hands to it first. We've got to give him something to help. Asking God to help us is not just us sitting there waiting for him to move. It doesn't work that way. And don't ever say, let go and let God. Doesn't work that way. It's going to happen by faith. Amen? It's going to happen by faith. Hallelujah. Now, I'll end with this. Faith worketh by love. 
And we found out today, and I hope you have revelation knowledge, that a faith motivated by love is what you need to help bring people to Jesus. Amen? Motivated by love. But pastor, I need to believe God. I'm going to do that. But does anybody believe in God for some material things? Anybody believe in God for a job? Anybody believe in God for a house? Anybody believe in God? You need a new bicycle. I don't know. What do you need? What do you believe in God for? What's your prayer? What are you believing for? Anybody got kids that are going to school? You need tuition money. Anybody need new uniforms for your kids? Anybody got some electrical work around their house? What do you believe in God for? But pastor, how, how is my love for those things going to make them happen? This is where we switch it. It's not our love for material things that bring material things to me. It's my revelation that he loves me that in turn brings those things to me. You have got to know that when you are asking God for something, that first and foremost, that he loves you. If you know that you know that you know that your father loves you, then it's easy to stand in faith and ask him for what you're believing for. If you don't believe that he loves you, it's going to be really hard to get anything. It's all works by love. Our great love for him, his great love for us. Let's stand up. Hallelujah. Did you get something this morning? Unfeigned faith. An effectual faith. A faith that's not phony. Let's not be phony. One of the Greek words for unfeigned is also the word they use for plastic. It's false. It's a decoy. Real faith. How do you know if you're in faith? It should be producing something. Each and every one of us should be producing fruit. When Jesus returns to the earth, will he find faith? We don't ever want to let a service go by that we don't give you an opportunity. If you've never made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, then as I've preached and taught, there should have been faith that rises in your heart. If you want to know who this Jesus is, if you, don't, if you want to know that you know that you know that you are saved and born again and that you have an eternity, if you want to just find out what your purpose is, it's going to start by saying yes to Jesus. So I would love the honor today to lead you in that prayer. Those that are watching online, let's all close our eyes and bow our heads and just repeat this after me. Just say, Dear Heavenly Father, I have faith in my heart. I believe that Jesus is your son, that he is Lord. I confess it. Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe in my heart that you raised him from the dead. I'm asking you, Jesus, to come into my heart, to dwell inside of me. I give you my life. I surrender it to you. Forgive me of my sins. Heal me of all my diseases. Heal me of all my addictions. Give me a hunger for your word. Guide me to a good church. And let's do this together in Jesus' name. Woo! Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Well, we love you. Please watch the Wednesday night broadcast. If you're a first-time guest today, then we have guest services in the back. 
Pastors Mike and Chesley will be back there. We've got a gift we'd like to give you and just say thank you for coming. Know that you are loved, you are prayed for. Jesus is Lord. We'll see you next week.